Well, welcome to FBC Las Cruces. My name is Joe Andrews. I am not the senior pastor here. He will be back preaching next week. Uh, really excited for his sermon series. It's during family month, so the entire series is all about family, uh, and it's called The Big Messy because sometimes family is messy. We don't want you to miss even one uh, single Sunday of that sermon series, so please make sure that you're here. But I have to finish off my mini-series that I started last week, uh, and it's though it's small, uh, I hope that the Lord uses it to speak uh, to you like he's used it to speak uh, to me as well. The series is called Understatements. And uh, last week, what we did is we looked at understatements that people were making about Jesus and how making understatements about Jesus or not making them is really the difference between eternal life and eternal death. And that brings us to this week's sermon. And this week's sermon is called Who You Are. And what we're looking at is not understatements that people said about Jesus, we're actually looking at an understatement that Jesus said about his disciples and about each and every single one of you, all right? So we're looking at Jesus making this huge understatement about who you are, and I hope that uh, you're able to see that that understatement uh, really really points to so much. Now, last week, I made a huge mistake in my message. I brought up a movie that I guess I shouldn't have brought up because it has put some of your families at odds with each other. I got, I got husbands angry with wives. I got wives not understanding who they have even married because they like that movie. Kids see it and they think it's funny. They're mad at mom. I mean, this, I think the church is on the verge of a split right now. All right, so I have decided to not use that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use a chick flick today. We're not gonna go, see what I've seen is, even this morning you've divided yourselves in four different factions with your, your very specific opinions on that movie, each one differing and a little nuanced than the other, and I don't want this to continue. All right, so we're gonna look at a chick flick for our understatement today. Now ladies, this is, this is a true chick flick, all right? It, it has a handsome king, all right? It has strong knights, all right? It has a quest. I mean, it has everything that you're looking for. It's called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> a wonderful chick flick. There's an understatement that's really made at the end of that movie uh, that is, is, is really one of my favorites. Uh, here, here's kind of the setup, all right? King Arthur is on the quest to find the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail is supposedly the cup that Jesus used at the Last, uh, the last Supper with his disciples. And King Arthur and, and his troop, they want to go and they want to find it. And they heard that it's inside of a cave, but that the cave is guarded by a deadly, bloodthirsty beast, all right? And so uh, King Arthur, they've heard about it. They've heard about uh, what this beast does to people. It just rips them to shreds. It has huge fangs and they are so scared. They're shaking in their boots to find out what they have to confront to get the Holy Grail. And so they go to the mouth of the cave where the beast is said to have lived and where the Grail is. And uh, at the entrance of the cave, you see so many bones just strewn all over the park, uh, all over the place. There's body parts everywhere. I mean, this beast has killed so many knights and valiant men uh, that it's, it's just ridiculous. So King Arthur and his knights are very very afraid. And then the beast shows itself. And one in the party says, there it is. And King Arthur says, is it behind the rabbit? And the guy says, it is the rabbit. <laughs> and King Arthur is pretty upset. 
And that's the first understatement that's made that they called this beast a rabbit. Somebody else in the party calls it a harmless bunny. Those are huge, huge understatements. Now, what happens is King Arthur is just fed up with this. He sees, this is no beast. We'll just go and we'll attack. So he sends one of his knights. The beast leaps off of the ground straight towards the jugular head gone of the knight. I mean, no head. He's now a headless knight. He falls on the ground and King Arthur and his men are like, okay, we have not only underestimated, but we have also understated our adversary here. So King Arthur decides, let's all go attack at the exact same time. So they, they go and they attack this beast and the beast jumps from man to man. And King Arthur loses two more knights until they figure out a way to defeat the beast. I believe it's a holy hand grenade. Uh, <laughs> and they defeat the beast finally, but they understated that beast. They understated him greatly. And that's a huge danger when you're dealing with something so dangerous. And I didn't learn last week, so that's how I've decided to bring you guys to the text of Luke 12, 4 through 7. I mean, the connection is so easy to see. I know some of you are hoping that that connection is bunnies. You're like, is there also a bunny in Luke 12? There's not. But there is birds in Luke 12. So if that, I don't know if that helps at all. But really the bigger connection is that there's a huge understatement in Luke 12. It's bigger than the understatement that was made about the beast. It's bigger than anything you could really think of. And it's really Jesus' understatement and what it points to that is really the thrust of today's message. It's the one thing that I really want you to see today and take home with you and remember for the rest of your lives. And it's this, you, God values you more than you can possibly understand. God values each and every single one of you in here right now. And just when you think you understand how much God values you, you don't. It's going to take you an eternity to understand how much God values you. And that's the understatement that we have from Jesus. And that's what it really points to. Um, the context of Luke 12, before we get into it, uh, is, is really Jesus is in his third year of ministry. All right. He only ministered for three years. He's probably a little like maybe around halfway through that last year. The cross is, I mean, it's just on the horizon. All right. And uh, Jesus has already uh, been baptized. John the Baptist has already been uh, beheaded. Jesus has already called all of his 12 disciples. Jesus has raised a girl from the dead. Jesus has walked on water. Jesus has uh, healed the blind. He's healed the sick. People have made understatements about him. That's what we looked at last week. Some people said he was John the Baptist. Other people were saying, no, he's Elijah. Other people were saying, no, he's Jeremiah. And other people were like, no, he's one of the prophets. All of that has already happened. And what's happening now is Jesus is making his descent from the north all the way to Jerusalem. And as he's making that descent, he knows what Jerusalem holds for him. He knows that for him, Jerusalem means betrayal. He knows that for him, Jerusalem means a trial. He knows that he'll be found guilty. He knows that he will be crucified. He knows that he will give his life for mankind. And that's the heaviness 
that's in the passage and kind of sets the background for the passage that we're going to look at today, but that's not it. Jesus is also thinking of his disciples, remembering that each one of them is about to give their lives for him in the future, not as soon as he will give his life for them, but in the future, they will each die for following him, minus Judas and minus John, who was exiled and died in exile. That's the heaviness that's over this passage as Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he wants to tell them some things and he makes this huge understatement. In fact, it's one of Jesus's greatest understatements. Maybe one of my favorite understatements that Jesus makes. Now, an understatement is said because you're really pointing to a greater reality. And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. And uh, what I want to do is usually, if we're looking at verses four through seven, usually you would start at verse four and, and go down. We're not going to do that. We're going to kind of do things backwards and mixed up, but it's all for a reason. So what, I, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the very last part of the very last verse of that passage so that you can see the understatement that Jesus is making. Here it is, verse 7b, second part of verse 7. Jesus tells his disciples, fear not. Now that word in Greek is the word phobeo. I bet you can understand, uh, maybe even guess, what word we get from that. It's the word phobia, all right? Do not fear, do not be afraid. That word uh, phobeo really just means that. It's be afraid. It's to be afraid. And here Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. I bring that up because this word is used five times in these four verses. So it's a pretty important word for us to know. Now we do get our word phobia from it and we add other things to it. So if you have a fear of spiders or arachnids, we have arachnophobia. All right. If you have a fear of being out in public, there's something called an agora. That was, that was Greek for the market. You didn't want to go into the market. So you have agora phobia. All right. If you have a fear of the pastor, you have burophobia. All right. Our, now, our new FBC life pastor who's been on staff a grand total of like four weeks now, he has burophobia pretty bad. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome uh, to watch. But the, the really great thing is, is how Jesus ordered these words in his teaching. It's kind of like a phobeo sandwich, okay? With the buns being the same, and the middle, the meat, it's the same as well. So if you were just to look at the verbs uh, and that word phobeo, here's, here's how it would read. The first top bun would be, do not fear, don't be afraid. Then you get to the meat and it says, do be afraid. Then it says, be afraid again. And then we have the last bun that says, do not be afraid. And if we're looking at a phobeo sandwich, mine has no mayo because I hate mayonnaise. <clears throat> So Jesus says, fear not. Then he makes the understatement. This is, this is great. Disciples, I'm glad I gathered you all around here. I know we're headed to Jerusalem. Uh, I just want to tell you, you are of more value than many sparrows. Like, what was the disciples' reaction? Um... Thank you, Jesus. I appreciate the, yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, we're people. I thought we, we were worth more than sparrows, but thank you for saying so. You too, kind sir. I don't know how you react to that, but it is a huge understatement about what Jesus is really 
saying. So to help you see what Jesus is really saying, we got to put this verse in a little more context. Let's look at verses six and seven together. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? So back in Jesus's day, if you wanted to buy some sparrows, and it's not like people were just like, hey, let's go to the bird shop and buy some sparrows. This would be poor people that wanted to buy sparrows or small birds to eat, just like the beast would eat the knights. People would eat these little tiny sparrows and they're really cheap. In fact, poor people were probably the only people that would buy sparrows. Now, Matthew, when he's talking about the same thing, he says you can get two sparrows for one penny. So if you kind of do the math, five for two, or one, uh, you can get two for one. I mean, really, if you buy four, you get the fifth sparrow free. They're like throwing it in. Do you know why they would do that? Because sparrows were so insignificant. Nobody cared about the sparrows. The poor people could afford them. And they're like, listen, I'm trying to get rid of all these sparrows. They're not very valuable to me. So what I'm going to do is if you just buy four, I'll give you five. Because they're so insignificant. They don't have any value. That's why they're so cheap. Let's continue on to what Jesus is telling the disciples. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Did you catch that? Jesus says sparrows are pretty worthless. They're insignificant and they're really cheap. But Jesus says, you know what? God doesn't think they're insignificant at all. God values each one of those sparrows. It doesn't matter how many cost how much. They're significant to him and they have value to him. Though to us on the earth, they might seem pretty insignificant and really cheap. And then Jesus just changes subjects out of the blue. And this is what he says. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Remember, he's just talking to the disciples and he tells them, listen, remember that all the hairs on your head are numbered. It's like, where are you going with this? Talking about birds. Now you're going to hair. You're going to talk about birds again. What is going on, Jesus? This actually relates directly to what he just said about sparrows. In fact, it is absolutely beautiful the way that Jesus does this. Now, he's talking to his disciples and he says, I know you probably think that one hair on your head is insignificant, but let me tell you that every hair on your head is numbered. Now that word numbered doesn't mean that God went and he's counting everyone's hair to know how much hair they have. That's not what it means. It means that he is so acquainted with each hair on the disciples' heads that he has assigned them a label. He has assigned them a number. So if he reached over to Peter's head, which I, if I were Jesus, I'd mess with Peter all the time. I would reach over to Peter's head and I'd pluck one. And I said, God knows the number of this hair. Maybe it was number 3,432 or maybe it was number 20,321. But what Jesus is saying is that even the hair on your head is significant. You think that it's not valuable? Well, some of you probably think hair is pretty valuable. Maybe you're at a time in your life where you're like, am I less significant because I have less hair? That's not what this is teaching. And if you have more hair, all right, it's not teaching that you're more significant. I'm sure that you who have a lot of hair would give the hair off your back to help somebody that doesn't have as much. 
But here, here's the relation. Here's the relation. To God, the cheap insignificant sparrow is valuable. To God, even one hair on your head is labeled because it is significant. And then we get to the understatement. Don't be afraid, disciples. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, how would the disciples know and how do we know that God valued them so much? Well, you, I mean, God created them, right? In his image, then God sent his son to earth to live a perfect life. And God sent his son to the cross and Jesus willingly laid down his life for those disciples. And then he resurrected, conquering not only the penalty for sin, but conquering sin and death itself. That's how this is such an understatement. Yes, they're worth more than many sparrows. God didn't send his son to die for sparrows. God didn't send his son to die for hair. God sent his son to die for mankind. God sent his son to die for the disciples. And they knew who Jesus was. God revealed that to them. So that's the huge understatement in this passage. And now Jesus is going to tell his disciples something else. He's going to say that sometimes you won't feel valued by God. All right, now we're gonna go all the way to the beginning of these verses now. We're gonna go to verse four. And verse four is like a really sobering conversation for the disciples. But now the disciples haven't heard verse seven yet, if this is playing out in time, but you have. And so I want you to kind of look at verses four and five in light of what you already know about sparrows and hair and that even those are significant to God. And if those are significant to God, so are the disciples. So this is verse four. This is what he says. I tell you, my friends, disciples, earlier he calls them his friends as well. He says, a greater friend has no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. And so greater love has no man than this. And so Jesus has used this term before and he's just saying, I value you, disciples. So as he gets into that, remember that, but also remember at the very end, Jesus is just stressing that once again, that he values his disciples. He says, do not fear. Now this is, we had our, our bun is uh, do not fear. Uh, now this is, this is that top bun. Do not fear those who kill the body. Don't fear the people who will kill you. What's coming for the disciples at some point? Death, martyrdom. They will be killed for their faith. And Jesus is trying to encourage them for that moment and other moments that are gonna lead to that when they're afraid of men, when they may think I need to turn my back against God so I can save my own neck. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about those people who will kill the body. And after that, they have nothing more that they can do. What's Jesus saying? Well, anyone can kill us, but that's not the end of everything for us. Even though they may kill our bodies, and Jesus is saying to the disciples, even though they may kill your body, even though they may kill my body, what matters isn't that. Because after they're done with that, they can't influence anything else. They can't change eternity for you. All they can do is kill your body. And so Jesus is looking towards his own death and he's also kind of foreshadowing theirs when he gives them this advice. Because Jesus knows that this life isn't what's most important. And he's trying to get his disciples to see that. 
following me is what's most important. This life and what people are going to do to you, it has no bearing on eternity. You don't need to worry about what they're gonna do to you here because you follow me. You keep following me. Don't deny me. Keep following me because what awaits you is an eternity with me and with my Father in heaven. That is why life isn't the most important thing. This life is preparing them for eternity. They had to place their faith in God. They had to honor God. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, so it did not matter. If someone would put them to death, they would still press on. They would move on to eternity. But I could understand if someone was killing me or chasing me to kill me, that I might not feel valued by God. Could you see that? So I think Jesus is giving this encouragement to his disciples because he knows the temptations. The temptation is gonna be deny God. But Jesus is saying, listen, times are gonna get hard, but those times don't mean that you're not valued by God. The next thing that Jesus gets to is he says that God is who's most important. If this life isn't what's most important, God is who is most important. Honoring him in this life, that is what is most important. Let's look at verse five as we get into this just a little bit deeper. So we have, now we've looked at both of the buns. We know not to fear and not to fear. Now Jesus gets to verse five and he's going to say, you need to be afraid. Two times he's going to say it. I will warn you whom you are to fear, whom you are to be afraid of. All right? Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So he's telling his disciples this. There's a much greater power and authority out there than these people who want to put your body to death. And it's God. If you're going to fear somebody, you should fear him. Why? Because he's all powerful. Because he has all authority. He is sovereign not only over life, but he's sovereign over death. Even though sin is what brings death into our life, God is still sovereign over it. And just like the hairs on our head are numbered, so are our days. And that is why Jesus says God is who is most important. We have to honor him. Disciples, Jesus says, honor God, keep honoring him, follow him, never turn away from him because he is what's most important. You think it might be your life, but it's not. Your eternity and honoring God for who he is, that is what is most important to you. So he tells them, be afraid. Be afraid. He says it two times. And then we get to that first verse that we looked at today. What does he say? Don't be afraid. Why wouldn't the disciples have to be afraid after they were just told two times to be afraid of God? And, and let's not try and turn this, uh, this word phobeo into like this love and respect and reverence of God. In this case, in a lot of cases, when it's talking about the fear of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. Here, it's just saying you should be afraid. Because God is powerful and God is big 
and God is doing huge things and God has all authority and because he hates sin, if you have sin on your account, you will find yourself separated from him forever. So he's saying you have to put your faith in God, you have to believe him and you have to be fearful of him. But at the same time, disciples, you don't have anything to fear. Why? Because you're valuable to God. Why are they valuable to God? Yes, because they're his creation, but also because they have decided to accept the Messiah that God sent to die on their behalf. They have placed their faith in him and they are following him even until death. It's the same for you and me. Yes, God is someone to be feared. His wrath is upon sinners and each one of us in here is a sinner, just like all of the disciples. But if Jesus Christ pays for our sin, then we do not have the wrath of God upon us. And God also values us for that reason. We are valuable to God. So how do we bring all of this back to us in this room? How does this impact us? Everything that Jesus said to his disciples that day, how does it work for us? I think it's really similar. In fact, I think it just follows the exact same logic. So here's the next thing that I want you to see. Don't be so afraid of what happens in this life. I know that's easy to say from up here. I know we worry about things. We may even worry about our death or somebody else's death. But this life isn't what matters most. In this life, what matters most is that you follow Jesus, that you place your faith in him and that your sins are forgiven. After that, let anybody do whatever they want to you. They can't affect your eternity. So don't be so focused on this life, but be a little more focused on the eternity that you have because God has saved you. The next thing that I want to show you is this. What happens in life can make you think that God doesn't value you. Has this ever happened to you? It's happened to me several times. When you're going through something and it's so difficult and you feel like you're at the end of your rope and then something else happens and you're like, I didn't even know there was more rope to go. And you find yourself at rock bottom and you start thinking, because this is the temptation, you start thinking maybe God doesn't value me. If God really valued me, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I think it would have been really easy for the disciples to say when someone was killing them, it doesn't really feel like God values me right now. That's why Jesus encouraged them and says, you don't worry. Whatever you go through, anything that you go through, I don't know if you're having hardships with money, if you're losing your job, if your marriage is on the rocks or if your second marriage is on the rocks, if your kids are leaving home, I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe your car is broken and that's just one extra thing and that makes money harder because now you don't have the money to fix the car and now you can't get to work. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're, you're gonna be laid off. Maybe you're working with someone that just rubs you the wrong way. There are so many things like death in our lives that make us think. And the temptation is for us to think that maybe God doesn't value me because I'm going through this. If God valued his disciples while they were being killed, 
God values you. You are worth more than many sparrows. Last thing that I want to show you today is that God values you more than you can possibly understand. Yeah, it's an understatement, and we could make that same understatement about us. I could declare it for Jesus right now that you are worth much more than many sparrows, because you are. If, if a sparrow is significant to God and a hare is significant to God, you are so significant to God. He loves you so very much. And it's not because of who you are. You're a sinner. It's because of who he is. And he is a wonderful God who has chosen to value his creation. So much so that he was willing to send his son to die for it. So do you live in fear in this life? Are you scared of all the things that might happen? Or maybe in that fear, have you forgotten that you're valuable to God? Or maybe, maybe you are just hearing for this, maybe you're hearing this for the very first time. You're hearing that God values you. Maybe you want to respond to that by coming forward in a moment and talking with one of the pastors during the song. You can do that. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord because you thought he didn't value you, but he values you. He said it. You're worth more than many sparrows. And that is a great understatement. Maybe you're looking for a church that preaches correctly about Jesus, but it also tells you that you're valuable to God because you're his creation. He has loved you and he's proven his love to you through the cross. Maybe you need to come forward and you need to accept Christ for the very first time. Maybe you're looking for a church. Maybe God is leading you in some other direction. But if there's one thing that I know for sure, you need to leave here knowing for the rest of your life that you are valuable and you're not insignificant to God. And that you can go online right now and you can buy a sparrow for $56.99. And if you buy four of them, you don't get a fifth free. If you want five, you're going to spend $284.95. But you're still valuable than many more sparrows, even, the pri even though the price of sparrows has skyrocketed. God values you. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you and we thank you so very much for who Jesus is. We thank you for who you are, but we thank you for valuing us. We feel so insignificant when we compare ourselves to you. But we know that we are of value to you. We know that you love us. We know that you have chosen to send your son to die for us. And we thank you for him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.